if you're not meaningfully thinking about ethical and social risk, and you're just focused on like hyper growth in the short term, there will be blind spots in your business that will eventually cost you time, money, and reputation. Are you struggling to deploy cloud-native applications to a hybrid cloud? Do you want to become familiar with Kubernetes and Istio? IBM Cloud has a set of free, hands-on training, eBooks, and an always-on free tier of services to help you learn. Visit ibm.biz slash stackoverflow to learn more. That's ibm.biz slash stackoverflow. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm here with Paul today. Hey, Paul. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? It's going fine. In today's crazy mixed up world, I would say things are pretty good. How are you doing? Good. How was your weekend? Um, it was a good parenting weekend, I guess. Okay, <laughs> you know. Do you like success metrics or KPIs around parenting? Um, not yelling. Not yelling, not yelling is a That's is a, a KPI one. for real. Yeah, like yeah. you're just like, did I did I keep it together? That's a good one. I'm at about a seventy five percent for this. I'd like to get to more. I mean, a hundred's impossible, but you know, if we could just get that up to like eighty five, I'd feel a lot better. And then also, I give the KPIs to my wife, and she's a huge fan of that. She loves it. <laughs> good to have smart goals. Good to have smart oh, goals. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, today on the show we have a guest. We have Lyle Resner here with us today, who is a professor of public interest tech at ITP, also formerly the co-founder of Swayable, here to talk to us about some ethics in tech. Uh, Welcome, Lyle. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Paul. Hey. So we should point out that ITP is part of NYU, in case you like acronyms. Yeah. So New York University, ITP. Actually, what does ITP stand for? Yes, you better get this one right. It's funny. It's uh, <laughs> lots of pressure. No, um, interactive telecommunications program. It was started, I think, in the seventies by a pretty remarkable woman named Red Burns. I mean, if people don't know that know this program, this is sort of like one of the archetypal new media thinking programs in the world. Like it, it got there so early. Like you've got yeah. you know, MIT, Stanford, and ITP. I'd agree. I, it's a really, really special place. This expressly kind of interdisciplinary, collaborative place across technology, engineering, design, media, art, and increasingly ethics, social responsibility, civics, and public interest. And they are, do they still do stupid hack days? <laughs> is that a formal title? I haven't. Well, I don't know what it's a... called. No, but there was a, there was a point where uh, ITP was just doing really like dumb projects on purpose that was completely magical. Well, I can, <laughs> uh, I can say, I can say, and this is one of the wonderful things about it, but I guess also part of attention that we're trying to balance with some of the work that we're doing. I think the ethos there is build something greater than the sum of its seemingly inauspicious, not connected parts, right? Whether that's like a burrito 3D printer or something else. That's right. It's this, it's the stupid shit no one needs and terrible ideas hackathon. That's it's I'm, I'm yeah. I found it. It's they did a cheese with 3D printer, right? It's things like that. Okay. Well, I mean, just, speak just... for yourself about the need for uh, <laughs> cheese with 3D printer. But... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say when people come to New York, when we have new transplants to New York, I tell them they have to do two things. First is go to the New York Tech Meetup, and second is go to the ITP Spring. Yeah, Springer Fall shows. They're they're just like amazing That's experiences. Right of people that have built just incredible things over their tenure at ITP of just really cool technologies that 
you can interact with. It's really awesome. Totally. A hundred percent. That sense of humor and is, is so unusual in our industry, which is the, yeah. the least funny industry that has ever, like even carpeting is funnier. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, like there's probably good jokes about like deep pile versus shag, but then you get to tech and there's like, I don't know, pearl socks. Like that's, that's our, that's our humor. And so it's just ITP, you know, I'm, you know, it's just, just good stuff, good ridiculousness and, and a broader conversation about tech. I mean, in text defense, Pearl elicits strong opinions. That's, that's, really that's the polarizing. <laughs> it's just polarizing. One day we're going to do a special episode of this podcast all about <laughs> Pearl, Pearl 6. Oh, my God. And, you're and, probably going to get hate emailed right now. Just no, no, no. Joking about it. That'll just be me doing a monologue. Sarah will be like, and no, Sarah, Paul, Paul needs to talk about Pearl. It's Paul time. I would just say about that, I think, Oh, did we set that up for you? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, you could if you'd like. Well, so I think ITP, like I think ITP has really benefited from this sort of playful, experimental, cross-disciplinary ethos. But like a lot of the rest of the technology community, there hasn't really been space for thinking about intention and consequence in what people build. And one of the exciting things that's happening now, and there's some terrific faculty driving, but I think one of the more exciting things is I think we're really seeing it being driven by student interest and student demand, our folks want to understand that they want those spaces. They want to be more thoughtful about what they create and how they create and the sort of impact that it has on the world. Yeah, that's really neat. I think I think this is a really great topic to discuss and I'm glad that you're coming on. I think recently something that's made me think about this just even more, I know SpaceX, this is like a month ago, they announced that they were releasing the capability to deliver a missile in one hour to anywhere in the world. To me, my reaction was like, oh man, there's a lot of coders working on that. And their project was, let's get a missile to anywhere in the world that needs it within an hour. And what a deep thing to think about as part of your work. And what a rough thing to work on and maybe even live with. So I think this stuff is really interesting. What, what got you interested in it? I mean, just personally, I've always sort of been at the intersection of technology and public interest or technology and social change, like mostly doing education and economic mobility work. And I think for this subject specifically, and the work that we're doing now, this research project, education is my first love. And I'd love to, I'd like to kind of find my way back there as, um, as an entrepreneur again. But after the election in 2016, took a little bit of a detour and wound up starting this political tech company called Swayable. And we went up going through, which I'm no longer affiliated with, I should um, caveat. Um, so I'm speaking for myself and not for my co-founders. But we wound up going through Y Combinator in early 2018. And basically what Swayable is, is we measure how content changes people's minds. And we built it to support progressive advocacy organizations and political campaigns. And I think from the outset, we were really cognizant that in the edge case, we were successful we were building a giant repository of how content changes people's minds, which is a really frightening data set to bring into the world. And so we tried to be really thoughtful about both product and organizational design decisions that we could make to help ensure integrity of purpose. And really at YC, those conversations weren't happening. And we kind of felt like it was just hard to find resources and examples of people that were trying to be super intentional about that. And so thankfully, over the course of the last couple of years, there have been these exploding conversations around ethical tech and responsible tech and rights respecting tech and public interest tech and but I, I think they've felt 
a bit over-indexed on the technology itself. When I think, you know, if you build a company, you know uh, that the technology that gets created is ultimately subordinate to the, the mission, the values, the business model, the culture, the performance incentives, the infrastructure that exists within the company that builds it. And so our current work is really just trying to elevate those conversations around like organizational design because entrepreneurs make tons and tons of like little micro organizational design decisions every day. And so it seemed like a useful thing. Like there's no re- central, there's no like central body of knowledge for that. There are a lot of people doing cool stuff, but there's no central body of knowledge. So. And what do you mean when you mean organizational design? Like if I'm being purposeful about my organizational design, what am I thinking about? Yeah. Great question. So it starts all the way like up with incorporation, right? Like, are you a traditional for-profit you want to incorporate as a public benefit corporation, which is a really new, exciting legal structure that actually changes fiduciary responsibility for founders from shareholders to stakeholders to who you fundraise from and under what terms and maybe how you bake in kind of social impact or stakeholder value expectations in with your with your investors to your governance model, to your ownership model, to your pricing model, to you know how you hire and think about DEI work to how you think about kind of risks in your business model. I mean, there are all kind of in all those areas, all those categories of company building. There's there's just a ton of different things that people that you can do to try to make sure your company is having is ultimately world positive, as I think obvious has put it. To describe what you are building, like what what is going to I'm going to go to I guess a website and like what's going to happen? Yeah, good question. We don't know yet, <laughs> so we're. We just got support for really like the data collection part of this. So mm-hmm. right now we just kicked off interviews with a bunch. We're looking to do you know upwards of a hundred interviews with diverse, influential founders, operators, and investors to hear their stories about how they're approaching these issues, so that we can hopefully kind of maybe generate case studies, examples, frameworks, tools that we'd like to make open source and freely available and build a community practice around, but. We don't know what that looks like yet. We're just, we're kind of in the data collection phase. And it's really fun. Like we're, we're about, I'd say a dozen interviews in and the conversations have been freaking awesome. I think increasingly like this generation of founders and operators are like, we don't want to build a unicorn only to discover that like we're tearing apart some important fabric of civil society. Like they want something different. And there's a really terrific group that we admire called Zebras Unite. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, Zebras well, United let's, is awesome. Let's tell the people what it does. They came up with this idea of like an alternative to unicorns as like an aspiration of founders. As in like, you know, I think the idea is like a zebra. First of all, unicorns aren't real. And a unicorn being a billion dollar company, right? A company with a billion dollar valuation. Yeah, yeah. Right. And zebras are just like companies that are both profitable and sustainable and good for the world. And it's just a really terrific group that's also kind of creating a community practice around an alternate set of aspirations in tech. And it's led by a couple of really amazing women. And they're just doing really cool, inspiring work. So give us a few examples. Like you said, that the conversation has been freaking awesome. And obviously, there's some confidentiality and stuff. But what, what have been some things that have jumped out? Yeah, so one, for example, we talked to one founder who's really early stage and used to be an executive, a product executive at Google. And she, even in her like super early stage, she's like trying to find product market fit and find her first set of customers, has invested a ton in, I think what she called project-based hiring. So the idea that she's looking to hire 
folks with technical skills mainly from the African continent. And so she's trying to like bypass traditional signals of competency um, that I think a lot of folks in tech kind of use as a proxy and wind up giving us a less diverse talent pipeline than we could have. And so she's built out like this super impressive project-based hiring framework that took her a ton of time. So she invested all this time up front to think about this. But she's talking about how it yielded so far, and it's the results are amazing. Like she has this really diverse team and folks who don't really have any traditionally fancy credentials, and they're all crushing it. So that's I don't know. That's one example. We talked to another founder who is also early stage, and she's like in the middle of her seed raise, but she has been thinking a ton about, um, and her team has been thinking about like the accessibility of their business model and getting into really nuanced debates about like sliding price scales and democratization versus access. Just all sorts of super nuanced, interesting things that I, I think on the one hand are, again, nuanced, but also really generalizable. And I think something that a lot of founders ultimately will have to confront as they're building their businesses um, and could learn a lot from if we if we tell their stories. What I've observed, and I don't know if you've seen the same with folks that think about ethical tech, is like the people that are thinking about it really prioritize it. But the people that are not thinking about it just aren't thinking about it and aren't, you know, it almost seems like they're not interested, right? They're like, they need to move too fast. They, yeah. There's so much to do. I can't be thinking about, you know, wait, wait, something wait, wait, else. Wait. Hold, hold on, hold on. Because what yeah. they're actually thinking, when you know them, right, they're thinking yeah. by building in the fastest and most effective way possible, I'm generating tons of opportunity. Money is a good thing. Like they're they're fans of the system, right? And so yeah. as far as they can tell, like lots of people at Uber think Uber is incredibly ethical, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it does. No, they do. I mean, it's like, you yeah, know, yeah. We, we changed. Yes, we had to change some laws, but now the laws are more fair and there's more people coming into the industry and so on. So, I mean, it's like I like I hear it. and, and it, But you have to be mindful. Like there are, there are people who are just like absolutely not going to agree that they're unethical. They're going to say, well, that seems like a lot of friction on my capitalism, which I really like. I have a house. <laughs> I have a big house. And I created thousands of jobs. And you're going to come here and tell me that I have to do everything completely differently. Like, what? Anyway, let's wow, work that out for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Fix capitalism I, for me, would you? Oh, boy. So, you know, I think <laughs> a couple of responses. I think the ethical framework is is sort of problematic, but it's kind of regrettably become kind of this umbrella catch-all for a lot of these conversations. There are a, a bunch of other distinct framings, and I think the distinctions are important, although I don't want to, I feel like I'll put people to sleep if we talk about, well, maybe I'll talk about one. This is a podcast for programmers. It's okay. okay. <laughs> they're, they, they're, they're, they're out there. We've, we've talked about semicolons for 45 minutes. talk yeah. about it's Pearl. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the most, maybe the most important thing to call out in these kind of conversations around ethical tech, responsible tech, rights respecting tech, civic tech, public interest tech, tech for good, humane tech. I guess the main one is like the ethical tech framework is inadequate insofar as like ethics vary from person to person. They vary from group to group. And in an industry that already struggles considerably with representation, an ethics framework can compound certain issues. And so it's almost, at best, it's insufficient, and at worst, it's harmful. And one of the frameworks that I think has been, is more powerful is this idea of almost like rights-respecting tech. So the idea of like introducing considerations for thinking about harm relative to human rights. And 
I am certainly not the first person to think about this. There have been a lot of scholars, uh, in particular, like women of color who have been on this problem for a long ass time. Folks like Safia Noble, who we're lucky enough to have on our advisory committee, who wrote Algorithms of Oppression, who's been just like saying this stuff for a really long time. And Ruha Benjamin at Princeton, who wrote Race on Technology. But the, just the idea that, you know, it goes, it goes beyond ethics. It's, it's like ultimately, you know, there's a difference between, you know, are you, you know, contributing to like the dopamine economy? Or I think the example, one of the examples we draw is, you know, Instagram removed the number of likes right, from a post to, like, lessen the dopamine hit a little bit, right? And it's like, that's great, but it has nothing to do with your business model and, like, how at your core the sort of harms that you might be perpetuating. And there's a difference between that and, like, predictive policing and facial recognition that, you know, disproportionately affects marginalized and black and brown communities, right? Like, there's a, there's a fundamental divide there. And so I think in the conversation, it's important to kind of acknowledge that, well, I think you're, you're hitting on something that's really tricky in this conversation, right? Which is that there is a relatively small community relative to the larger global world of tech that is very focused on this problem space, right? And it, it's, so where could you get the most change? Well, what everyone has to do is follow the guidelines of the major app stores and platforms, right? We don't have a choice. You can't have an app in the app store unless you do what Apple tells you to do. The same is also true of government regulation. You know, I think that there's a, when, I, when I'm listening to you, I'm like, this is good and those guidelines will be very good. And then, but there's also a real need for for sort of regulatory and sort of larger platform pressure because the other 95% just won't pay any attention. So I, I think it's threefold. I think there's definitely a need for a regulatory strategy here. But I think, you know, maybe to go back to the framework of like motivations, like why should people pay attention to this if they're, they're convinced that their company is already ethical? Like, I think you are seeing already and you are going to increasingly like bump up against an aggressive and smart, um, hopefully in the coming administration, regulatory regime. And so mm -hmm. kind of addressing these issues head on can, I think, both save you cost in the long term and maybe buy you a little bit of social capital. I think so they've had four years to think about it, too. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be a lot. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think, you know, the millennials and Gen Z in particular are like more inclined to buy products and services and be a part of communities that resonate with their values than any community before. And so there's like a consumer pressure there. And then I think, and Sarah, you kind of alluded to this with the, the missile kind of issue. I think talent more than ever before, and I'm, I'm seeing this as a, as a professor at NYU, like tech workers are increasingly not willing to build stuff that they have reservations about. And from a talent attraction and retention standpoint, if you're not thinking about this stuff, I think it can also cost you. So I think there are, you know, even if you're just a hyper capitalist, I think there are real incentives for addressing these issues head on. And then I mean, my, my personal point of view is if you're not meaningfully thinking about ethical and social risk, and you're just focused on like hyper growth in the short term, there will be blind spots in your business that will eventually cost you time, money and reputation. And if you're truly wanting to build like a long term company, then it is a business imperative to think about these issues up front. And I think one way to think about it is almost as like insurance. Like you are probably going to have to pay some cost up front, right? It takes more time. There is a little bit of friction introduced into the system up front. And so you pay your premium though each month 
right? And you pay your premium, kind of your ethics or social responsibility premium each month to hopefully prevent a disaster <laughs> much later on that can really kind of throw off your business. Okay. Um, <laughs> Are you not convinced, Paul? Well, I'm living it in a, from a different perspective. And scale, like I, I see it also with a lot of orgs that I deal with. Like scaling this is very hard. The, the framework that you're talking, you know, I've been watching this world for a while and it feels like it works well for a, a small bootstrap startup or cooperative models, like people can really work together, but it has a lot of trouble scaling to larger organizations because lots and lots of different ethical systems start to happen in New York. And, yeah. and so like, there's an assumption with ethical tech that there is a, what I would almost call like an academic model of ethics that everybody shares. And as after you get past about, let's say, let's throw a number out, like 25 people, you're going to have five of those people are going to be like, what is this? I need to do my job. And then you can try to talk, you can talk a lot about values, but humans just don't line up that way. So I find that part complicated. I think it's yeah. also just like VC and the other ways that money gets into the tech ecosystem are often pretty indifferent to this. They they see growth as its own good. Yeah. And so that that's a big challenge too. Like I mean, I think look, I think this is important work. Like I will go read every page on the website. I just I'm I'm in this industry for so long and and the things that you say are things that a lot of people will pop up. Like I'm just seeing the Twitter accounts like, no, no, I'm the best person in the world. How dare you say that there's another way of seeing this? Yeah, I hear you. I think, and we hear a lot of, I've heard kind of all the caveats, right? Like we're already resource constrained, especially, well, I mean, more from early stage, like, you know, we're right. already resource constrained. We're still trying to find product market fit. I'm focused on making payroll. It's too early. It's too hard to predict. What can I realistically do? I sell SaaS software. This doesn't apply to us. But I think there are sort of two mechanisms here. One is if people want it to change, like if people, like the only way it's going to change is if we change it and we are more intentional about it. And I think the upcoming generation is going to demand much more rigor and thoughtfulness, even if it is a challenging problem as you scale a company where things kind of splinter off. It's something that I think increasingly top talent and especially diverse top talent wants to see prioritized in some kind of way. Because even with those challenges, just like anything else, I think there are a lot of easy wins that you can take off the table, right off the top, that I think people are missing right now. And so the second point is, you know, a lot of people, it's funny, I've had one of the other motivations for this is I had a bunch of early conversations with folks and they're like, no, I'm, you know, our, we're ethical, right? Like, and we, <laughs> we, if there were a problem, if there were like a rights problem or something we'd know and we're like okay well how do you think about that and it's like well we have a couple partners and we think about this and we know it's like okay well do you do any of the following right have you ever engaged a third party to conduct an ethical review right have you ever used a risk assessment framework like ethical os or consequence scanning or the data ethics canvas does your team explicitly hold regular meetings to anticipate or manage harms that your product or business might cause do you have offsites about this do you have clear policies on how your product can or can't be used are you 50% women, BIPOC, or LGBTQ+. I mean, there are like a bunch of concrete things if you're like, oh, you're ethical? Okay, like, are you doing X, Y, Z? Like, I think a lot of people do care, and they think that it's a challenging issue, and they kind of do their best on it. I think one of the things that we want folks to realize is, is there's a whole discipline around this that exists, right? There are a whole sets of best practices and ways that you can introduce rigor into your practice if you say that you care. And I think 
You can say that you don't care, but I personally think that that's a business mistake, and I, I think there's a growing case for that. And then if you do care, then like these are relatively low cost, like things that you can do to help make good on on your word. That's great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, co-founder, the person that you're working with on the project? Yeah. Yes. Thank you I know for they that. They were going to join us today, but they were around what you said a mess of children. <laughs> right. So my brilliant partner, Dr. Wilnada Negron, does some work at Coworker and has done strategic tech at Ford and brings a super interesting background around kind of the intersection of tech and social justice and movement building. And I was hoping she'd be able to join us today, but she does a million things, including be a mom. And yes, earlier, just before the call, I think the words she used were a, she had a mess of children at her, at her apartment because uh, the schools were closed in New York City. And uh, I think we agreed that, quote, mess of children should maybe be the new formal way to describe a group of children that largely aren't your own. That's anything above one, really. But yes. <laughs> But yeah, Wilnada is incredible, and it's been really fun to to do this project with her. That's great. So what would you say to folks that are listening that are like, oh, wow, I wonder if I work for an ethical company, or how would you advise folks to evaluate if the work that they're currently doing is ethical or the company they're currently working at is ethical? Great question. I think twofold. So there really are a growing number of tools and communities that care about this stuff. I think probably the one of the kind of Pandora's box for looking into it is if check out the Ethical OS framework that was built by Institute for the Future and supported by the Beneficial Tech Group at Omidyar. They did really terrific work that just kind of suggests, like, you can just kind of get a sense of, like, how, if you say you care about this, just, like, how much work there really can be. I mean, they identify eight risk zones that your product or business model can touch on, things like truth and disinformation and propaganda, economic inequality, algorithmic bias, surveillance state, data control, monetization, harmful actors, something like that. So that would be one area. There are a whole bunch of amazing people that they should probably follow on Twitter, like Safia Noble and Ruha Benjamin, Kamal Sinclair, um, Ellen Powell, Project Include, Eli Pariser, Civic Signals. Project Include is so good. If you're running an org, it's very, very thoughtful. It's very easy Definitely. to read through. I would recommend it to anybody. And the, the ethical OS is very cool, too. I remember the, the risk zones are good. Like, it's, these are good mental models. They're very helpful. We'll put the links to all these in the show notes so people listening can, can step away from their keyboards and, and, and just click instead. Cool. And then people should sign up for our email list. And we are looking to do, I mean, we have uh, something like 80 interviews in our pipeline, but any founders or operators or investors really that feel like they want to learn more about this stuff or that they're like really proud of something that they've done in their company that they think will help ensure that it ultimately has a positive impact on society. We'd love to talk with them and tell their story and help amplify it so that other other founders can potentially do the same. Great. Well, uh, I'm Sarah Chips. I'm the director of community here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on GitHub at Sarah Joe and check out Jewel Bots this holiday season if you're looking for some gifts for kid family members. Wow, go ahead. Tell us how to reach you. My name is Lyle Resner, professor of public interest technology at NYU and a co-author of the Startup and Society Initiative with Wilnada Negron. You can find me online at lyleresner.com or Twitter at Lyle R L Y E L.
And I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow. Check out my company, Postlight, and get yourself some jewel bots this holiday season. Yeah. Jewel bots. Jewel they're bots. bots and they're jewels. They're shiny. They light up. <laughs> they have embedded hardware. You're going to love them. Jewel bots. <laughs> That's great. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> All right. We don't have any lifeboats this week because uh, one of Ben's children, his mess of children, uh, spilled uh, coffee or not coffee. I don't Why would a child be drinking coffee? But <laughs> Maybe his kids, kids you don't laptop. know. You don't yeah. know their lives. <laughs> spilled bourbon sure. all over his laptop. <laughs> so uh, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll see him again or otherwise he's cut off from society. Yeah, we'll never see him again. Yeah, just a farmer. So we'll find out. 